Cybersecurity experts are everywhere, but cybersecurity in the supply chain is seriously lagging. What gives? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and welcome to Episode 300 of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. can't say there's a lack of awareness about the need for effective cybersecurity in the world today. You'd have to be uniquely ignorant not to have heard of the rash of cyber attacks, especially ransomware, that's been plaguing businesses, governments, and individuals in recent years. What's more, there are plenty of experts standing by to explain why a particular incursion took place. Yet companies continue to get hit. So how is the message not getting heard? Today, we'll speak with one of those experts, Ray Rothrock, CEO of Red Seal, who will tell us what manufacturers and supply chains should be doing to prepare for a cyber attack and why they failed in that effort to date. The Internet, which serves as the breeding ground of cybercrime, arrived virtually overnight, but we're still playing a losing game of catch-up in creating the strategies and capabilities that are needed to secure it. Here is my conversation with Ray Rothrock. Ray Rothrock, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Bob. Glad to be here. Look, Ray, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you about uh, cybersecurity and resilience and supply chains. But I just want to start out by expressing a certain amount of frustration over the fact that the world does not seem to lack for experts such as yourself with excellent advice for what companies should be doing to protect themselves against these attacks. And yet they happen again and again almost on a daily basis. I feel a little bit of frustration. I don't know what you feel about that. I'm just wondering why is that the case that there is no lack of experts and yet no lack of breaches all the same? Man, you're asking the perfect question. This has all come upon us in a very fast way. If you think about how fast we have built the Internet, we built it in the last 30 years, basically, right? It's the early 90s when HTML was invented and off we go with webs and everything else. And here we are in a world that's, I don't know what the percentage digitized is, but we are now in the midst of a digital revolution. And even if we knew what to do, and even if we had the money, it takes time to do things. But the problem is we didn't have the money and we didn't have the people or the time. And so here we are faced with this massive digital revolution, and we're just behind in upgrading our infrastructure, upgrading our cyber strategies, upgrading our, our resilience capabilities in this world. As they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, but the Internet practically was. Hmm. And so we're in a catch-up mode, honestly. And my hope and what all I've done the last 30 years is that we give enterprises the tools to do it as effectively and efficiently and as quickly as possible. But that's why it's basically we're behind. In particular, though, why is it so difficult to maintain cybersecurity in the supply chain? Well, the supply chain, I don't think it's any different in a supply chain than it is in a corporation, just as a point. What's sensitive about it is if you are a corporation and you do have a supply chain of vendors that provide product and stuff to you, what we've done is we've automated that process. Now, 
we have uh, vendor systems that report out, I need another uh, truckload of RAM chips or another truckload of pumps or whatever it is. And the whole manufacturing process all the way back to sourcing the, the original materials are now automated. We used to have to pick up the phone and call and place an order. Now it's all automatic. And that electronic connection down the supply chain makes everybody in that chain most vulnerable. It's kind of like we're all in the same bathtub together and the water gets polluted. We're all in trouble. And the proliferation of devices, too, that oh, show oh. up in the supply chain and the yeah. employees bring in or the ones that are on site that are not yeah. secure. Talk about vulnerability. Yeah, that's part of the digital revolution, right? We're all, I don't know, I mean, you have, I've got, I'm staring at three right now on my desk. My car is connected at my house here in California. I've got over 90 devices on the network and I have Nest Cams and a few other things, my security. So it's all connected and the supply chain is no different. Everybody's connected to everybody else. So people say, well, you're only as good as your weakest link. Well, not necessarily. I think you're only as good as the end result. The leadership is paying attention to the problem and investing in solving the problem. Just a sidebar. So growth in IT dollars generally follows the GDP. So it grows 2, 3, 4% a year and it has forever. Cyber used to be a subfraction of 1%. Today it's 11 or 12%. So we are eating our IT capabilities, and by the way, that takes money away from the suppliers of equipment, the consumers of equipment, the whole supply chain. It takes money away from innovation to make better products. So we're, like I say, we're in a catch-up mode. We're working as fast as we can. We're robbing Peter a little bit to pay Paul. Well, again, specifically to the supply chain, I don't know if this is an answerable question or not, but as you know, the supply chain incorporates everything from procurement of raw materials all the way to manufacturing, distribution, delivery to the customer, reverse logistics, yes. and the like. In that chain... Where, if any, are the typical weak points where cybersecurity becomes a particular issue? Wow, that is a hard question to answer. I would say the weak point is the perimeter doesn't work anymore, okay? I mean, the perimeter is everywhere. My, my cell phone here is part of the perimeter of my company. If I do something on that perimeter point that takes its security level down, I've created vulnerability for Red Seal. And so it is probably the people changing the equipment and not doing it correctly. And then also phishing. Phishing attacks is the number one reason why there are breaches today. These are human beings that have been fooled through a social engineering thing of some sort to open an email that's got a malware attachment to it or something. And we've all read in the newspaper about the CFO that wired a quarter million dollars because he got some email from the CEO. That's what's going on in a big way. And you can only train people so much. We all make mistakes. And that's probably yeah. the weakest link. Probably and, you know, I think we all go around with the illusion that, well, that would never happen to us. Of we course. read all these things and say, well, I'm too smart for that. But then it is funny how sometimes those so-called smart people do get it, do get trapped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I bring up the whole fishing training thing. It's one of my recommendations from my book, Digital Resilience, is so what happens when the CEO fails? <laughs> what do you do about that? It makes for an interesting conversation in a boardroom sometimes. How do you define cyber resilience? I want to talk about how it can be achieved, but just what is it in the yeah. first place? So, resilience generally and digital resilience or cyber resilience is the ability to manage through a malware attack or some sort of breakdown in your systems in such a way that it doesn't affect your outcome. It keeps your company up and running. It keeps your customers happy. They don't even know. The physical world, a great example are airbags and seatbelts, right? 30 years ago, you hit a tree in a car, you probably died. Today, you hit a tree in a car and you walk away. The thing that's of interest to you, the human being in the case of a car or in the case of our 
companies digitally, the data, for example, you've detected it, you've handled it, you've shut it down, you've managed right through the situation, and nobody is any worse off. That's very hard to achieve in this age because by the time people learn they've been attacked, the fire has already burned the place down. Take Equifax as just a classic example. The word resilience itself, by definition, it's the assumption that something's going to happen. It's not prevention. It's not stopping something. It's actually being resilient in the face of something happening. And I know that you like to say it's not a question of if, it's a question of when a breach is going to occur. So we just have to accept that, right? We do have to accept that. You have to be prepared. You have to think through what can go wrong. So many people just assume everything's built perfectly. It's not built perfectly. Buildings aren't built perfectly. Probably the building you're in has got sprinkler systems. Mine does. Did I expect a fire to happen today? Of course not. But we haven't built and thought about our digital infrastructure in the same way. And that's what being resilient is. What can go wrong? How can the intruder get in? What could he do once he's in here? On and on and on. And once you take the time to think through what can go wrong, it's amazing what you come up with in order to defend yourself and to be prepared to defend yourself when you get attacked. Okay, that sounds great. Try to figure out what can go wrong. And yet techniques that hackers and cyber criminals use are constantly evolving, constantly surprising us with new things. How can we anticipate stuff that we haven't experienced before? To the extent you can anticipate the threat, that's great. But I'm not suggesting. I'm suggesting if you detect something, if you have an anomaly, if, if something doesn't look right, What actions can you take? What door do you shut? Which server do you isolate? Those are the things that you can do. And you you may not know which server the threat's going to attack, but I know these five are the most important that I have. It's where my customer data is, for example, or my supplier data, my vendor data, whatever it is that you're wanting to protect. The first part about resilience is deciding what's important. In the Mm -hmm. car example, it's the human beings. In the digital revolution, it's where's the data? Where does it live and how important is it to me? Because you can't secure everything. You can certainly do the best you can to protect and respond to that attack with a resilient strategy on the things that matter to you. So this is all part of being proactive. In other words, number one, knowing where the threats might be. Beyond that, though, once you know that, is the defense more a question of the technology in place or is it training the people or a combination of the two? It's all three. It's a great point you make there, Bob. Resilience is not a product. It is a strategy. It's a strategy Mm -hmm. that involves people. It's a strategy that involves processes. And it's a strategy that involves technology. And all three of those things have to be woven together with a focus and a leadership point of view to decide what matters and what to train and what technologies to deploy and so forth. Everyone's got the same basic technologies, firewalls, detection systems, endpoint, antivirus, all that. That's all great. But how you manage it, what people, how you train your people to use it, how you segmented your network, all of that matters. You don't do that if you don't stop and think about it. Artificial intelligence is supposed to be so good these days on drawing up what-if scenarios. I wonder if AI can be of help in helping a company to understand what if a cyber attack happens and then what to do in the face of it. Yeah, it's funny. AI is a great buzzword. So AI depends on lots of data in order to learn. The problem with cyber attacks is they're all unique. They're all different. Like you said, the threats are evolving. The access points are evolving. What the bad guys are going after is always the money, typically, but 
It's evolving too. Sony was not about money. Sony was about embarrassing the corporation, which they did a great job of. So how do you deal with it? AI is really good when you have a lot of repeatability, and then you can train the systems to detect it. I haven't figured out yet exactly where I put AI in, for example, what Red Seal does. I do have this. I call it machine reasoning. So let's reason through this, folks. If I put this key server in its own little room, its own little segment. I've started to put up a resilience strategy, and that matters a lot. That's reasoning, not AI in terms of data interpretation and then giving it decision capabilities. Look, AI is great for fire prevention systems. AI is great for a sinking ship. When you detect water, where is it and what actions do I take? Maybe someday the attacks and the threats will be stable enough. It'll be like a building or a ship or a car and we can use AI effectively. It seems that companies are beginning to wake up to the idea that cybersecurity has to be an aspect of risk management. Now, what yes. they've done, for instance, in, in responding or preventing or protecting themselves against natural disasters, a lot of companies undertake things like drills, exercises, they set up war rooms, they do all kinds of stuff like that. Should they be enacting similar strategies when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber attacks? Yes. Absolutely, they should be doing that. In fact, we use some great photographs from World War II of war rooms in England to illustrate what we do with our technology here. But absolutely, you have to have that. The first time the CEO hears that there's a problem, it should not be the first time the phone's ringing in the middle of the night and the GC's calling up and saying, hey, boss, we got a problem. You hope that you've done that several times. When the Sony attack happened, Hollywood's everybody lit up like crazy. The CEO said, I don't want to get that phone call in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to practice getting that phone call. Shabon Gorman at the Brunswick Group in Washington and I have been on stage here in the Silicon Valley debating exactly what you're talking about. How does an organization train itself? How do you get prepared for it? They are a crisis management group. There's plenty online, but you can also get experts to help you plan and prepare for these things. Now, it seems like, at least in terms of the headlines, the biggest threat on cybersecurity these days is cyber extortion and ransomware. Yeah, it's popping up yeah. everywhere, and it's yeah. a terrible threat because it can bring down an entire system unless you're willing to pay with Bitcoin or whatever it takes in order to get your system unlocked. Give us some advice on how to prepare, maybe not, maybe prevent, I don't know, or how to react to or how to deal with this critical problem. Yeah. Ransomware is a horrible thing, and you're absolutely right. So far, no one's come up with any great detection capability until it's happening to you. Then, of course, you're done. But what you can do is you can have very extensive backup systems, which is pretty standard. This is called disaster recovery stuff, and just pretend the laptop got burned up in the building. And then you implement your disaster recovery systems. We have had a ransom attack here at Red Seal, and all we did was wipe out that computer that was tacked and locked, and from our restoration systems, just completely rebuilt it. It all took about an hour, and we were back up and live with that particular machine. It was so a single are, machine there, that was threatened? It was just yeah, one machine? We had, yeah, yeah it's not a network? No, it wasn't a network. It was a single machine, and we were lucky, I guess, in that way, and probably came from a phishing. Someone pushed the wrong button, and there you go. But the point is, we know how to recover from disasters. We've actually done it. I mean, 9-11, a lot of companies set up their second data centers outside the New York metropolitan area, right? Mm -hmm. They moved to Charlotte. They moved to St. Louis. These are facts in order to get away from that single failure of the building coming down. And ransomware is the same thing. Your, your computer is gone. All your fancy data is on it. Do you pay or do you just wipe out the computer and start over? 
you lose a little bit, but if you do it right, you lose almost nothing, and you're back online. Again, being resilient. Nobody knew we were hit. And, of course, in 2001, the cloud was nowhere near as prevalent as it is now. So I yeah. would think that if everything's in the cloud, that you really it shouldn't be a problem. And yet we still hear about, like, entire yeah. cities' uh, programs yeah. or cities' computer networks going down, and they don't have that access. So is it just a question of people not understanding the need for that? Well, remember now, you still got to touch the cloud. You still got to have a connection to the cloud. There's still a router and a switch and some other stuff running from your desktop. Maybe it's a wireless, but it's still a pathway from your computer to the cloud. So ransomware the cloud, I haven't heard of anything. Ransomware the computer on your desktop, that happens all the time. Servers mm -hmm. get ransomed all the time. So the cloud actually, these cloud vendors, Microsoft, AWS, and all these, they're doing a great job with security, but it's not perfect. And in fact, understanding the impact of those security policies on your existing, I'm going to call it legacy, on your legacy environment is really essential to getting it right. I hear you. It's not like the cloud's been held ransom, but just access to the cloud has been held ransom. And that you can have a disaster recovery process for. You know, you said nobody knew anything had happened, but uh, I think you said in the past that the average is an average of 197 days before companies yeah, detect know. threats, yeah. which is a horrible idea that it could go that yeah. long and the damage it could do in that time. Yeah. So how do we shorten yeah. that? You know, yeah. how do we deal with um, that? Imagine your building catches on fire, you dial 911, and two weeks later the fire department shows up. Yeah. It's, or, uh, or, it's you, not, or you didn't realize it was burning for, yeah. for, for two months. Yeah. Well, there's like a couple things. One, everyone needs to keep all their equipment up to the latest patch capability. Patching mm -hmm. typically covers security holes and so forth, and it's in the news every couple of weeks. Some vulnerability has been found on Apple iOS or Microsoft. You should keep everything up to date. That's step one. Step two, you should have advanced detection systems that can give you clear evidence of a problem. Splunk is a company that sells a correlation technology that looks at a bunch of logs and says, you know what, this computer, this IP address has probably got a problem. And then if you're the company, you hand it off to your incident response team and they can investigate it further. The problem is the detection systems aren't as good as they used to be. The threat guys know how to defeat them and they can get in there. And, and sometimes these threats are very slow evolving. They're not like a kinetic attack with a hand grenade where you blow something up. It's just going to sit there and slowly siphon off what it's mm -hmm. trying to do. The Sony attack apparently was going on for like 11 months before they – and by wow. the way, they didn't detect it. The, the bad guys just finally said, hey, we're in, and they put all those ugly screens up <laughs> at the red skull. That's and how they found out. Yeah. 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 We're getting a lot better. Those numbers will come down. But people have to deploy that good technology and then use it properly. And yeah. that takes people and investment, and we are short people in the cyber world. We're way short people. Now, I know that if I were to ask you who's responsible for cybersecurity, you would say everybody's responsible for cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. However, who should be in charge? Who is the yeah. sheriff? Who in an organization should be the one overseeing this, coordinating everything, assuming that there should be one such individual? Well, it should be part of the CEO's job. But I think the person who's got 100% responsibility for it is typically the chief information officer. The CIO will be parallel to the CFO, typically the chief financial officer. And underneath the CIO, there'll be network, there'll be security, there'll be supply chain, there'll be all kinds of people that report into that CIO. It's a little bit of a misnomer these days compared to what it was 10 years ago. But it is a guy in charge of all the, uh, the digital and electronic infrastructure. Sometimes that person also, by the way, the CIO might be in charge of physical security, might be in charge of disaster recovery, and all those other things that are about keeping the corporation resilient. And 
getting back to something you asked earlier about risk management, giving information to the board about what's our risk profile, where are we weak, where are we strong, what do I need, how do I fix it? That's the CIO's job, in my humble opinion. So I hear coming from you, despite the fact that we have to accept that the breaches are, to a certain extent, inevitable, it sounds like there is a message of hope here, that given sufficient awareness and given sufficient action, the technology and the processes are out there for companies to sufficiently deal with this issue. Would you say that? Yes, I would say that. The one thing that we're still short of is manpower. There's just not enough operators in the world. I'm not talking about PhDs and advanced degree engineers. I'm talking about operators, people who sit in these security operations centers that work at managed service providers that actually operate those technologies. Right now, in a big corporation, they might have 50 or 60 different technologies they use in their cyber domain. And there may only be five or six people that operate those 50 or 60. That's, that, that ratio is just wrong. We need our technology needs to become more automated, more self-actuating, and we just need more people with more skills. Now, the good news is the military is now starting to put out a bunch of people who've gone through cyber training in the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines, and they're coming on the scene, but we're still way behind. Numbers I've seen, Bob, range from 400,000 to a couple of million people just in the United States. I want to mention your book, Ray, Digital Resilience. Is your company ready for the next cyber threat? We will link to that book in the show notes to our episode. But uh, Ray Rothrock of Red Seal, I want to say that I'm a little bit less frustrated having spoken to you and learned a little bit more about cybersecurity and what we need to do to prevent it. I want to thank you so much for being with us today to help us to understand the issue. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bob. And if anybody wants a copy of the book, just mail me, ray at redseal.net, and I'll, I'll send you one. That was my conversation with Ray Rothrock of Red Seal, talking about digital resilience and cybersecurity. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.